Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 16th of August 2012. For newcomers, I hope you could make good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. There's over a thousand audios for free download and you'll start to understand the system and all of its deceptions that you're, you're born into, how it works uh, in every single area of your life. In fact, how you're programmed from birth to death. Most folk die never knowing really what went on at all. They accept the media uh, and, uh, and all their stories at face value. So find out about the big organizations that set themselves up to take over the world, uh, starting with their money supply, of course, and then central banking systems, and then bring all the central banking systems under trading blocks, and then bring them into under the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland. Written a long time ago, planned an awful long time ago. And not only that, too, it's not just to do with banks and money. It's also to do with total control. For If you control the money supply, you control the whole of society, its cultures, everything. Every plan that you have to bring in a brave new world is on the go right now. So help yourself to the audios, as I say. And all those sites carry print-ups that I have listed in cuttingthroughthemedias.com. Uh, you can print them up in English. If you want to print up some other languages, go into alanwatsentinel.eu and take your pick from the choice offered there. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on guests as advertisers. I stick to the basic uh, bad news, basically. A lot, of, a lot of folk can't handle bad news, but I just stick to it because this is very real. This is life and death we're going through right now, and other countries are finding out that right now as we bomb them all. But say, I'll come home. This is meant to come home as well into austerity. And that also will bring you on starvation in some quarters of first world countries. Because, you see, the boys at the top don't have any favorite countries. Uh, they have peasants all across the world. And that's how they view all of us at the bottom. So remember, you can buy the books and discs I have at cuttingthroughthemidrace.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, a good uh, personal check uh, will be cashed in Canada, no problem. You can also use an international postal money order from the post office in Canada, from uh, the U.S. to Canada. You can also send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. Remember, straight donations are really, really welcome because I don't sell any products, as I say. And I'm not commercialized because I think it detracts. Uh, we've got to keep sort of fiction and entertainment separate at this stage of the game because people are really getting their minds um, muddied up with the internet and so on. What we're going through, as I say, is just the latest phase, and those who've been following it, of course, for years, know all about the phases that they go through to do with uh, globalism and then the unification of all countries together through treaties and uh, uh, through the United Nations, of course, another front organization set up by the Royal Institute for International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations to bring in their brave new world scenario. And they bind everyone together through treaties, and these treaties are all to do with also uh, social changes, cultural changes, 
politically correct changes, all of those things uh, are signed into treaties and eventually become part of your law. If you're wondering why you're getting so crazy, uh, crazy cultural uh, things uh, getting pushed from the top, it's all through the United Nations as it was designed to come through. So we're living through big times, big changes, and believe you me, if you look, you, you, you think you're, you're isolated from the countries that are getting hammered right now, not just by bombs, but places like Greece, where the suicide rate is phenomenal now, uh, it'll come home to you all too. It's not that far off at all. It's a small world, and it's the same bankers, international, that run all of it. So eventually it'll be our time to, to go down that path as well. And, uh, I think, I think some people at least are quite aware of that, what's going on today to do with that. Now, austerity cannot be brought in unless they force you to do it. I've read articles recently from the top guys from the Department of Population Control where they say they must go into rapid depopulation and do with a lot less and bring in austerity, which is poverty, and train the public to get used to it. And I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and to the average person out there, as you well know, if you try to get through to them, it's hard, very difficult to get through to them, because they really don't think much about news at all, they take it at face value, and they don't think in any deep way about what they're hearing, and they don't believe either they'd be told lies about anything, that's a fact, they've been trained that way, it must be true, why would anybody lie to them, that's how simple it all really is. But we've watched the, the farce across the Middle East going on for many years now, starting with the Bush boys and uh, or the boys behind Bush perhaps, and then the boys behind Obama as they go through the whole Middle East and plunder it and, and destroy those cultures and societies forever because they want them to be have. And they're doing this, they're, they're supplying different factions, getting them all fighting each other. And that's exactly what Kissinger mentioned years ago before they even invaded those countries. He said, we keep them fighting themselves forever. They're no problem at all. They're out of the picture. And, of course, the big corporations go in and plunder them quite easily then. And that's what's happening today. But for some people, it's uh, complicated, of course, because they can't understand why one big country like Israel can have uh, nuclear um, supplies and it hasn't even signed the non-proliferation treaty, etc., and yet demand that the U.S. do something about places like Iran. But it's not just that. I mean, here's an article today. It says six companies from the world's nuclear powers have concluded nuclear contracts with the United Arab Emirates amid the continued opposition of the respective countries to Iran's nuclear energy program. And it says that uh, six corporations from the U.S., Britain, France, Russia and Canada sign new contracts to provide raw material and enrichment services to the United Arab Emirates' uh, Baraka nuclear facilities. They were uh, valued at approximately 3 billion USD, it says here, and the Emirates Nuclear Energy Corporation announced in a Wednesday statement. Under the agreements, France's uh, Areva, London headquarters, uh, Rio Tinto. By the way, Rio Tinto, I don't know if it still is, but it was owned by Rothschild and the Queen. Uh, two of them owned it. And the U.S. company Converdin, uh, Uranium Inc., uh, One Inc. of Canada, Britain's Urenco and Russia's Tenex will provide raw material and enrichment services to the UAE's four planned reactors at Baraka nuclear facilities in the western region of Abu Dhabi. 
the AFP reported. The companies are scheduled to begin providing uranium and processing services in 2014 and covered the needs of the four facilities at Baraka for 15 years. Meanwhile, Arriva has separately announced that the company's eight-year contract to provide enriched uranium to Baraka is worth 400 million euros. Earlier in August, the UAE announced plans to start constructing two of its four planned 1,400-watt megawatt nuclear power plants in partnership with a South Korean consortium. The new contracts with the UAE come at a time when Western countries, where the companies are based, have been urging Iran to stop all kinds of activities related to its nuclear energy program. The US, Israel and some of their allies have repeatedly accused Iran of pursuing non-civilian objectives in its nuclear energy program. Iran argues that as a signatory to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and a member of the International Atomic Energy Agency, it is entitled to develop and acquire nuclear technology for peaceful purposes. And that's a fact. It's supposed to be able to do that. But other powers, it's all about power plays, of course, have other ideas about it. So there you go. It's okay for some, not for others. And, and of course, there's big uh, uh, geopolitics at play as well with the top powers. Now, I have to laugh at some articles that come out about Russia. It says the Kremlin is building the legal framework for authoritarian rule. What's often odd to me is people can, from the West can read this stuff because you're trained to and kind of say, oh, there they go again. Uh, but you never, you never really just change the, the, the countries of origin and apply it to your own country because it's the same thing that's happening here. But it says before the Russian Duma broke for its annual summer holiday on July 13th, it had an important agenda to get through in a flurry of uh, hurried voting. The country's parliament passed a series of laws on non-governmental organizations. Uh, defamation and the internet meant to stiffen spines inside the regime and scare off and splinter those who are mostly actively opposed to it. See, the West has also put many, many uh, dozens and dozens of their color revolution agitators over in Russia as well. These NGOs that are financed by uh, the big uh, foundations, of course, these philanthropists that own foundations actually it's the big bankers that own the, the foundations and uh, and then put these armies in they're all well trained to disrupt the country and and start uh, demonstrating and demanding the same pc stuff that we're all used to here Despite signs of resistance from parties once deemed loyal to the Kremlin, the Duma is still under the control of the firmly pro-Kremlin United Russia Party. As such, it remains a dependable instrument for Vladimir Putin, the president, in his struggle with the country's opposition movement. At the moment, the Kremlin is not considering using force. Calling in the troops would be ugly and risky, as well as counterproductive. And with Mr. Putin loath to see Russia become a Belarus-style pariah overnight, the Kremlin decided that if you can't suppress them, then squeeze them, said Boris Makarenko of Center for Political Technologies, which is a think tank. So it says the legislative offensive began last month with the law raising fines on those who attend unsanctioned demonstrations as much as 300,000 rubles. Well, you've got the same thing here. If you're not given a license to demonstrate, then you can end up in the slammer. So what's the difference? You know. Then came last week's three new bills. The first would force the non-governmental organizations that receive funding from abroad, that's all the color revolutions, to submit to more rigorous financial checks and publicly declare themselves to be foreign agents. 
a term designed to discredit their work, which of course it should be. The second would be to recriminalise libel, an offence taken out of the criminal code just last year, not with fines as high, now with fines as high as 5 million rubles. The third would create a blacklist of websites to be blocked. We've got that here. We have that here too. Ostensibly so that, so to protect children from illegal or harmful content, but relying on technology that could be used against any online material the state decides to ban. Well, a lot of the stuff that, that I've looked up, even links I get now, I just can't pull them up at all. It's the, it's the government's uh, putting their uh, lean on them too. And as his legislators wrote the bills in a rush and the wording of the law on NGOs had to be quickly edited between the first and second reading when it became clear that the two allies of the Kremlin, Russian Orthodox Church, which receives donations from abroad, and the state-managed RT television channel, which gets monies from foreign advertisers, would fall in the category of foreign agents. Where, due to haste or design, the new laws are marked by vagueness, leaving courts and officials all down the country's bureaucratic chain, create latitude in enforcing them. Well, that's what we get here, too. They always make sure they're very vague, and so they can do what they want. It says mass prosecutions under the new laws are unlikely, although local and regional officials are likely to use them to go after local opponents and rivals. Above all, the laws are not meant to be regularly enforced as much as used to put those in opposition in a state of continuous theoretical legal jeopardy. And the law on the internet may have the furthest reaching implications. It calls for a new government body to administer a list of websites with banned content. The membership of the new, this new committee and how it will select the sites is to be blocked remain unclear. Well, we're pretty well the same here. You just can't get to pull those sites up. I can't here in Canada. A lot of different sites. And um, so, it's, but it's as amazing as I say. You just simply change it from the country they're talking about to, to the country that you're living in, and you get the same things happening. Most folk don't even see that. They don't think that way. You're taught your country's good. No matter what they've done or what they're doing to you now, your country's always good. But um, all countries bring in the same measures to protect themselves, the ones at the top. That's just the way it goes. And this Article 2 is about the great wind delusion uh, has hijacked our energy policy. About Britain, it says the command of Britain's electricity supply has fallen into dangerous hands. Anyone impressed by the efficient way in which Britain has organised Olympic Games might consider the stark contrast provided by the shambles of our national energy policy. Holy focus is, is in the belief that we can somehow keep lights on by burning tens of thousands more wind uh, or building them turbines within eight years. That's what they're supposed to do, build tens of thousands to keep up with the agreements that they made within eight years. At one point last week, Britain's 3,500 turbines were contributing 12 megawatts to the 38,000 megawatts of electricity we were using. The NETA website, which carries official electric statistics, registered this as 0.0%. It's 10 years since I first pointed out how crazy it is to centre energy policy in wind. It was pure wishful thinking uh, then, and it's even more obvious now. So when the government, in its latest energy statement, talks of providing on average 12,300 megawatts of power from renewables by 2020, well, what have you got? Everything about this is delusional. There's no way we can hope to build more than a fraction of the 30,000 turbines required as the windless days last week showed, we'd have to build dozens of gas-fired power stations just to provide backup for all the times when the wind's not blowing at the right speed. Now I'll put this link up tonight too, just to show you. It doesn't matter. Understand, this is all to bring you down into austerity. 
Now, the big corporations will not lose money on giving you less electricity because they're already putting up eightfold here in Canada. I mean, they actually told us that in Ontario. And um, it's to go up over two or three years. But uh, every country is getting the same. They're hitting Australia with the same. Because it's a worldwide. We're global, you understand. These corporations that own all these things and these power plants are global. They're global corporations. So we'll have to get brought down the same way. I'll put this link up tonight with the rest uh, after after um, tonight's broadcast. And now this is a, an interesting and, and funny article too, because it shows you about the, the madness. There's a lot of mad people out there who are very obsessionally minded, and they tend to go into, uh, oh, the sky is falling and uh, and global warming and that kind of thing. They're kind of neurotic, and they are if you've met them. And I could go on a bit more about their habits. But anyway, it says, now backyard barbecues are destroying the planet, a leading German alarmist site frets. The demonization of the outdoor barbecue has begun and expected to be banned soon in our lifetime. I like visiting German alarmist websites. Much of my favorite, favorite is Climarator Climate Risk Rescuers, a leading alarmist site ran by a gaggle of tree-hugging, panic-spreading cooks who insist the end is near. They're aligned with Joe Rom, Bill McKibben, and other nutjobs. Stefan Ramsdorf donates money to them. And what they're saying is, they're killing the planet with barbecue grills. But listen to the comments afterwards, back after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and talking about how barbecues are going to destroy the planet from all the nut jobs out there who have been brought up their whole life, of course, from primary school into, into adulthood, believing in global warming and too many people on the planet. They know the wrong people on the planet, that's what they really mean. Not in themselves, they're all very dressy and faddish, etc. But it says here, uh, today their entertainment did not dis- disappoint me. Climate rescuer contributor uh, George uh, Etchert shares his experience and exas- exasperation over a barbecue birthday party he was invited to by his barbecue fan dentist. Says there's too much smoke, environmental destruction and fat. This is for the environmentally and climatically obsessed George. All that charcoal burning and meat eating, eating, they don't like eating meat, you see, is bad too. As a pyromaniacal ritual, he says, that's intolerable and has to stop. These guys are all nuts jobs, and if they get their way too in some power, they would have you stop it. First, he frets that in the future, climate change will surely bring us many more days that will be ideal for having more environmentally destructive barbecues. Next, he describes the setup his meal-eating uh, dentist had, and this is what this nutter says, in his yard behind his dental practice, he had a pavilion set up for guests and his barbecue equipment was placed near it. The first thing that caught my eye was this voluminous uh, casket-like appliance of U.S. American origin, a metal box with a huge cover for the charcoal. There's an overheat feature that's supposed to be good for handling an entire pig. And such an animal would, would indeed, uh, was indeed lying on the casket, red, oozing and carved, a wretched picture. And I was supposed to eat that soon, he says. But the cruelty that the poor pig frying on the grill had to endure was the least of his worries. Next, he describes the dentist grill in more detail. He says, my barbecue enthusiast dentist, of course, owned a luxurious barbecue grill, the kind you can buy at every home center. Such a luxury grill monster on wheels can easily cost several thousand euros. Sizzling on the grill, producing huge clouds of 
of smoke was an abundance of sausages and spare ribs. Then I noticed he also had a small, a smaller spherical grill with a dozen grilled chickens going as well. But well, the guys are dead and they can afford it, right? George then complains about all the smoke and grease, uh, advising barbecue guests it's best to wear old clothing to barbecues because smelly clouds of smoke are produced by the burning spare ribs and charred chicken, which are also drenched with artificial smoke aroma barbecue sauces, all accompanied by mayonnaise-soaked egg, potato and pasta salads, which are all surely leave fat and grease everywhere. This is how yucky, but... But now I can imagine poor George sitting as far away as possible in some corner all by himself. And he adds, I don't want to go into further detail, but for me it's clear that there's little to be desired from such pyromaniacal male rituals from the early times of the Homo sapiens sapiens. From a culinary perspective, invitations to barbecues are almost always a catastrophe, always health-wise because charged fat and meats, in addition to the synthetically produced sauces and marinades, are known to be extremely carcinogenic and very difficult to digest without huge quantities of pure alcohol. And it says, well, alcohol does help. Next, he describes environmental and climatic impacts of the barbecues. And he goes through it, but oh, two-thirds of the 300,000 tons of charcoal burned in Germany every year by barbecue fans comes from the South American rainforests. This is the rubbish they, they give them. Most of the raw wood uh, for this must be illegally cut. So they go on and on and on. They even mention the fact, what would you do? You know, I mean, I, I, I don't want to kiss a girl, he says. He probably doesn't at all, mind you, but it, 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 I'm talking about girl, that is. But he says he doesn't want to kiss a girl. He didn't know what's stuck in her teeth. I mean, this guy's got no hormones. We would be thinking about that at the time. But this is these are the nutcases that they put out there to, to lead this uh, green revolution. And they all get paid at the top, mind you, by the big foundations. Because as I say, that's the big agenda, remember. That's the big agenda. Now, the PayPal founder backs synthetic meat printing company. This is called Meat Printing Company. It says the Thiel Foundation has made a six-figure grant to a series of biotechnology startups, including a company that wants to 3D print meat. It says uh, it's a Missouri-based startup that believes 3D printing could help to take some of the environmental costs that are producing a hamburger. He said, if you look at the resource intensity of everything that goes into a burger, it's an environmental train wreck. Well, this is another, you know, greenie. The company claims that by carefully layering mixtures of cells of different types in a specific structure, in vitro meat production becomes feasible. It set a short-term goal of printing a sliver of meat around two centimeters by one centimeter and less than half a millimeter thick, which is edible. I would call that austerity. The company explains in a submission to the United States Department of Agriculture, the technology has several advantages in comparison to other attempts to engineer meat in vitro. The bio-ink particles can be reproduced, prepared with uh, mixtures of cells of different type. Printing ensures consistent shape while post-printing structure formation and maturation in the bioreactor facilitates conditioning. However, it admits that the road ahead is strewn with difficulties. The consumer acceptance of such products may not be without challenges. So they have to con us all and give smiling faces on lots of ads as they chew this little waver piece of in vitro meat. He says, we expect it will first appeal to culinary early adopters, consumers, and the segments of the vegetarian community that rejects meat for ethical reasons. So everything's going that way. As I say, everything's going that way. It's a big, big plan. Also tonight, I'll put up to data from leading IPCC scientists show global temperatures have dropped an unprecedented one degree centigrade since 1990. 
And because they're always on it's going up and up and up, but actually in their own figures, it's, they've come out, they've actually, they actually know it's gone down uh, for, for quite a few years now. Doesn't matter though, the agenda continues and carbon credits are booming in different places. Big corporations want them, make lots and lots of money off them. And there's some music coming in here, so I'll be back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and we've already heard about the conflict is brewing between the UK and Ecuador as Latin America country agrees to grant asylum to Assange. And it says, uh, we're about to see a, a mini-war on UK soil if and when Britain decides to storm the Ecuadorian embassy, which moments ago announced it has granted asylum to Julian Assange. This is from Reuters. Ecuador granted political asylum to Julian Assange on Thursday, ratcheting up tension on a standoff with Britain, which has warned it could revoke the diplomatic status of the Quintos, uh, Equitos embassy in London to allow the extradition of the WikiLeaks founder. The high-profile Australian former hacker has been holed up inside the Red Brick embassy in central London, for eight weeks since he lost a legal battle to avoid extradition to Sweden, where he's wanted for questioning over rape allegations. See, the odd thing is, I mean, if they want you, the big governments want them. Um, once they get on an airplane, anything can happen. And technically, even in an airport, anything can happen, because that's their sovereign little territory again, and they can grab you there. Anybody else can grab you. Just Ecuadorian Foreign Minister Ricardo Patino said he feared for the safety and rights of Assange, which is why he said his country had decided to grant him asylum. Ecuador has decided to grant political asylum to Assange, Patino told the news conference. So it's going uh, we'll to see what happens there. It's becoming an international soap opera, it says here, to new heights, and it's taken it to new heights since Assange's first uh, angered the United States and its allies by publishing secret U.S. diplomatic cables on its WikiLeaks website. And the U.K. isn't happy either. And apart from that, too, it's mentioned other private um, intelligence services. Some of them are pretty awful uh, services, actually. But it's the same bunch that work strapped for and Stratford really, they've been called the paper clippers of all intelligence agencies where they just take stuff out of the media and the CFR, there's a big bind between them. And this is what they sell for intelligence, which is not the best of stuff at all. Even Israel's complained about it being rather dinky. However, they don't like being exposed. And I'll put that too. Now, it says, unblinking surveillance stare, Army's seven-story flying football field-sized blimp. The U.S. Army is a seven-story flying football field-sized blimp with a 21-day unblinking surveillance stare. The LEMV, described as a revolutionary IRSR weapon system, completed a successful 90-minute test flight directly over New Jersey where the fiery Hinderburg disaster happened. This is when you think about high-tech intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance, ISR breakthroughs, does a gigantic $172 million blimp immediately come to mind? If not, then join a club. In fact, my first thought was learning about the U.S. Army's new blimp was Hindenburg. 
It says it's not fashionable to call this flying spy, which is a hybrid military airship, a blimp, but a long-endurance multi-intelligence vehicle. It says you're no doubt familiar with the Goodyear blimp that hovers over football games, but the LAMV is almost the size of a seven-story flying football field. It's meant to fly at speeds between 30 and 80 knots without ceasing for 21 straight days while providing an unblinking eye of surveillance. Northrop Grumman, they used to make fighters too uh, over the years, aircraft, has a $517 million contract. It's not bad, the war industry these days, eh? It's pretty good stuff, if you're in that field. To build three of these 21st century robotic airships for the U.S. Army, the first of three had a successful 90-minute test flight last week from the Joint Base McGuire uh, Dix. Uh, List in, in New Jersey. The first test flight included two pilots, but the Army intends for the LMV to be, to be like the Predator, an unmanned flying surveillance machine. Both Northrop Grumman and the Army must like the term unblinking, as it was used several times to describe the revolutionary ISR weapon system, aka the LEMV. So, there's no lack of cash for, for wars, or you know, just keep you safe, mind you. you know, that's what they tell you. It's a spy on every single one of you. Because that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's, it's just spying on all of you. And this article here is to do with FBI. It says, the FBI manages to ignore huge amounts of criminality in the U.S. It says, we could look at the banks and what has gone wrong, uh, gone on in the banks and how to, how no Wall Street executives have been prosecuted or in jail today. Top Wall Street executives for massive uh, criminal, criminality fraud, money laundering, drug money laundering. The FBI has looked the other way uh, or found, uh, for some other reason, too difficult to go after them. So in other words, the FBI is true enough when it comes to the, the high boys in white collar crime. Because that, see, the poison high collar crime run your country. I mean, it's really to run your country. So naturally, the FBI is going to look the other way. But said, an analyst said the United States Federal Bureau of Investigation serves the U.S. rich one percenters by ignoring the crimes they commit, press TV reports. And the FBI manages to ignore huge amounts of criminality in the U.S. We could look at the banks, what has gone on in the banks, and how no Wall Street executives have been prosecuted or are in jail today. Top Wall Street executives for massive criminality, fraud, money laundering, drug money laundering. They keep looking the other way, he says. Referring to the recent incidents of mass murders in the U.S., he adds that the FBI has not only ignored the crimes committed by, they call it white supremacists in this article, you know, because that's what the government wants you to think about. But it's also described them as lone gunmen. Well, they are, in fact, part of fascist terrorist groups in the U.S., which will be working, obviously, for the government. We know they're all mind-controlled zombies. And it goes on and on and on. But I'll put this link up tonight as well. And it says no one will be charged with a crime for the MF global collapse. I'll put this one up as well. And uh, you can, it says the New York Times is reporting this morning that after 10 months of investigation by federal prosecutors, sources say there isn't enough evidence to charge any of the firm's executives in a criminal probe. The company may have failed spectacularly when it came to oversight and risk management, but the losses cannot be chalked up to outright fraud. So that's, that's, it. that's it for that investigation. The company placed a gross-outsized bet, which is more than $6 billion worth, on the health of the European debt market last year, 
and when it went south, the firm borrowed money from the accounts of its customers to try and salvage its own losses, which is supposed to be illegal. Most of the blame for those trades fell on its CEO and ex-New Jersey governor, John Corzine, and while his reputation and firm are ruined, it seems he will escape any legal sanction. He could still face massive civil lawsuits or fines from regulators who have lower standards than a criminal prosecution, but jail isn't in the cards. So, again, it's always one, uh, naturally it's one set of laws for the peasants, and it's one for the ones who run you. Because they run you. They run governments as well. I mean, big banks run governments. That's it. That's what Rothschild said, you know, give me control of the money supply and issuance of the, of the currency of a country, and, and I, I care not uh, who you make king or, you know, who run, who's, who's Putin as governor. Because the guy at the top runs the money is the boss. Now, Tony Blair, the, the, the big macho, or say, mucho, the mucho science, uh, psychopath, I would call him, because he's, he's a massive psychopath, he really is. He's, 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 a, he's a fantastic classic textbook uh, um, psychopath. He says he's returning to frontline British politics as a sports advisor. This is how they get, they get him in as a sports advisor to Labour Party chief Ed Miliband, his pal, but will not take a formal post. The Miliband brother, brothers, remember, they all came over from, from Russia and escaped to the Germans and all that, supposedly. And uh, they, they ended up running communism. The dad was teaching communism in a university in England, and they're doing the same thing. Because you're under a global system, and they use both sides, you see. Says Tony Blair will miss the opportunity to be in the shadow cabinet, nor will he have a defined role in the party, but Miliband is seeking to use Blair's experience, both in leading Britain, leading Britain where, all over the place to in war, and as a Middle East envoy in the run-up to the next general elections. It says, Blair recently turned to British politics by accepting a role as an Olympic legacy advisor. Jobs for the boys, a big cash, do nothing for Labour, and appeared at both a £500 a head dinner with Ed Miliband at Arsenal Football Club and a reception for Keith Vaz, the Labour MP. Asked recently if he would do another term as Prime Minister. If it was offered, he replied, yes, sure, but it's not likely to happen, is it? What I can do is contribute to the debate, whether it is Europe or the Arab Spring, or areas to do with economy and public service reform here. Well, economy uh, is like Brown too. I mean, they made Brown member after him. They put Brown as the head of the IMF for the U.S. <laughs> to make sure that they'd ransack the U.S. as well after plundering Britain. This is a source close to Ed Milban said it was important to respect Blair's achievements in winning three successful general elections for the party and broadening Labour's support. What a character, though. What a character. I mean, he doesn't have a single principle in, in any of his bones at all. But the former Premier is being viewed by other leading opposition figures as toxic because of his Iraq war legacy and the controversy over his earnings, which are understood to be around £20 million a year. That's after leaving office, because he was on the payroll of uh, uh, J.P. Morgan and a few other places over in the Middle East, doing big deals. But that's what they get away with, isn't it? They, they get away with doing all that stuff, but you couldn't. You can get away with it. You'd be slammed and, and slam right away. Now, a federal judge Tuesday threw out a lawsuit filed against the U.S. government and the FBI over the agency's spying on Orange County Muslims, ruling that, that allowing this suit to go forward would risk divulging sensitive state secrets. Comparing himself to Odysseus navigating between a six-headed monster and a deadly whirlpool, a U.S. District Judge Cormac Jai Carney wrote that the state secrets privilege may unfortunately mean the sacrifice of individual liberties for the sake of national security. National security covers everything, as you will understand. They can't tell you anything. 
and they can't stop spying on anybody, even though it's illegal. Well, is it illegal? They pass the laws to make everything legal. Apart from that, they don't follow laws at the top. Legalities are all for you guys at the bottom. Have you ever figured that out? So it says the judge wrote that he reached the decision reluctantly after reviewing confidential declarations filed by top FBI officials, and he was convinced that the operation in question involved intelligence that, if disclosed, would significantly compromise national security. Carney allowed the suit to stand against individual FBI agents under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which allows those who are improperly subjected to electronic surveillance to sue. The lawsuit was centered around the actions of Craig Montiel, who alleges that he poses a Muslim convert at the behest of the FBI to collect information at Orange County mosques. And that was from the LA Times. So there's no, but really, I mean that too. At the top, you understand, they don't go by laws and say, oh, we can't do this and we can't do that. They do whatever they want at the top, these agencies. And they know it too. But they can't tell you that because then you would start breaking all the laws at the bottom, the laws that they give for you to follow. Power will, 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 power doesn't need laws at the top. In fact, power doesn't want laws at the top that restrict them to do anything. That's why power stays as it is, the same power. Now, federal investigators viewed the Facebook profile of an alleged gangster in the Bronx by asking his informant friend to show it to them. A judge ruled that this was not unconstitutional because Facebook users can't control what other people do with the information they post. So it says friends can share your Facebook profile with a government a court has ruled. The federal judge has ruled that investigators can go through your Facebook profile if one of your friends gives them permission to do so. The decision was part of a New York City racketeering trial. comes as courts struggle to define privacy and civil liberties in the age of social media. In an order issued Friday, U.S. District Judge William Pauley III ruled that accused gangster Melvin Cullen can't rely on the Fourth Amendment to suppress uh, Facebook evidence that led to his indictment. Cullen has argued that federal investigators violated his privacy by tapping into his profile through an informant who was one of his Facebook friends. So uh, I won't stop anybody from prattling away to sock puppets and things like that. It's all part of the intelligence network now. And in Quebec, Canada, the leader of the New Coalition Party said to the children, it says, be more like Asians. This is telling Canadians, be more like Asians, he says. This is in a unique, a unique campaign message. A man who aspires to be the Premier of Quebec has compared the province's young people unfavorably to Asian kids, it says here. Francois Legault says he doesn't regret suggesting this week that young Quebecers are more interested in living the good life and could learn a thing or two from their hard-working Asian counterparts. In fact, Legault dug his heels in Tuesday and he says, I'm sticking to it, he told reporters. Right now in Quebec we don't value education and an effort as much as we should. The leader of the New Coalition Party first waded into the subject during a chat with an 85-year-old man carrying a campaign sign to stop to stop it earlier. The man had lamented the work ethic of today's youth, and Legault eagerly concurred. Since Legault news that things were different in Asia, where he said uh, parents want their kids to become engineers and actually need to stop them from studying at night because they nearly work themselves sick. He said if people in Asia keep working so hard while young Quebecers just want the good life, our society is in trouble. And he elaborated on those remarks on Tuesday. And he tried to soften it a bit, but he stuck to it, basically saying that they're too spoiled, and so on and so on. And it says, too, 
that uh, it goes on about the dropout rate in Canada compared to other countries, etc. And then he, gets, he says, setting those high dropout figures, the Gull also touted the achievement of Jews. He says it doesn't make sense that right now, for example, the Jewish community, we have something like 10 schools in Quebec where the dropout rate is under 1%. The same thing in Finland, it's less than 1%. The comments from Legault arrived in a charged political atmosphere. Students at the universities and colleges are voting this week on where to end six months' boycotts. The term La Belle Vie has become famous as a term of phrase used by a tabloid columnist to deride protesters at the height of the unrest last spring. The situation debate has also featured questions about productivity and whether higher fees might steer students away from social studies into the hard sciences. The Galt appeared to be pressing all those themes in the heat of an election campaign. His latest remarks coincided with the release of a report from a federal panel that proposed doubling the number of high-achieving international students admitted into Canada from the current 239,000 within 10 years. So they're going to really double the amount of foreign students that come in. And that's happening in the States as well, obviously, from the articles I've read there. So, uh, well, these politicians are saying like it. But again, who created this uh, culture? Who, who created this culture? You've got to think about it. It doesn't happen by itself. It didn't just evolve over time. Uh, who, who created a culture, uh, and, and actually a teenage culture at that, and with, with uh, do what you want, have a good time, have fun, smoke dope, and all the rest of it. Who gave the culture? Look at all the TV programs they watch. Who runs the culture industry? Look at that too. It's not by chance. Now, if you're a whistleblower in any profession, you're going to get slammed by those at the top, especially when it comes to government and national health services, etc. This is in Britain. Says the head of the health watchdog, Dame Joe Williams, cast doubt about the mental stability of a high-profile whistleblower who she wanted the health secretary to remove from the board, the, the newspaper Independent can reveal. Case Sheldon, a non-executive director of the Care Quality Commission, was subject to priority monitoring and declared a risk to the, reg- the regulator after she'd raised concerns that public safety was being compromised by poor leadership and performance. Internal documents show the plan to unseat Mrs. Sheldon began as soon as she spoke out at the public inquiry into the scandal at Mid-Staffordshire Hospital last November. The same day as the testimony was delivered, Dame Jo Williams, the CQC chair, immediately wrote to Andrew Lansley, uh, recommending that Mrs. Sheldon be immediately suspended and urgently replaced. So uh, this is your openness today. If you come out and see anything, because you, your conscience hit and you know what's going on, things are all wrong, you're going to get slammed. Slammed. And they tried to do this with the, wasn't even psychiatrists, trying to get her classes mentally ill. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and... Once they put laws on the books, they know when, where they're going when they put laws in the books, where they're going to go with it. It's getting it on the books, of course, it's a problem. Once they've done that, they expand it and expand it. The public don't mind so much because we adapt so quickly and there's so many things to worry about anyway. And uh, this is what they do. It says federal court uh, rules that cops can warrantless track suspects via cell phones now. So they don't need warrants or anything. 
geodata received based on reasonable grounds, phone was connected to a crime. In a 2-1 ruling, the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit has ruled, and gives you a PDF as well, the law enforcement has the right to obtain location data from a cell phone in order to track a suspect without a warrant. The case involves a man named Melvin Skinner, a newly convicted drug trafficker who was part of a cross-country large-scale drug operation organized by another man, James Michael West. So Skinner had appealed his many convictions and a conspiracy to distribute in possession with intent to distribute over 1,000 kilograms of marijuana. Uh, he must have been working for the government. Conspiracy to commit money laundering from a death in the government, aiding and abetting an attempt to distribute in excess of 100 kilograms of marijuana. His attorneys argued that the government's use of his GPS location information from his phone, which led to his arrest, could constitute a warrantless search in violation of the Fourth Amendment. There is no Fourth Amendment violation because Skinner did not have a reasonable expectation of privacy in the data given off by his voluntary procured pay-as-you-go cell phone, it says, wrote Judge John Rogers. It says, if a tool used to transport contraband gives off a signal that can be tracked for location, certainly the police can track the signal. So they're using a high, more high-profile cases, and then, of course, it means they can all go and watch after all of you as well. That's really what it's all about, not the big guys or peddling the, the drugs and so on. And I'll put up a link tonight too. It's an old one and it's to do with the great pretense how, how to fi- finance communism while ostensibly opposing it. And uh, this is an old um, video as I say, but it goes through it pretty well. And uh, it's interesting too that um, there's been others, professors even come out and, and mentioned this in the past. I've, I've put their, their books up and links up to their, my website in the archive section to do with uh, the, the con game of left and right and how it's been played together to get the desired changes through. You can't get changes without the conflict starting. And it's even better to confuse people between left wing and right wing. Uh, it really does confuse them too. They can't get it out of their heads. Why would they be working together at the very, very top? Well, that's, that's how you get changes through, as I say. And the big boys that run the world through the big foundations, etc., um, are the guys at the very, very top of all of this. Genetically engineering ethical babies is a normal obligation, says Oxford professor. I was waiting for this one coming. It says, uh, genetically screening your offspring to make them better people is just responsible. Puritan claims an eminent Oxford academic. And it says, um, Peter Illingsworth, an IVF clinician who worked on the study, said the death rate amongst babies born after a single embryo transfer was just a fraction above the rate of 10 per 1,000 for all births. And Professor Julian Savalescu said that creating so-called designer babies could be considered a moral obligation as it makes them grow up into ethically better children. Now, I read that article the other day from UNESCO as a world meeting they had. And I put up the PDF for the, for, I don't think anybody bored to look at it. It's too, it's too deep for them or too boring. But they had all that in there, how to create a better society for the future of obedient, obedient people to serve the masters better. And that's the end of the show tonight. So, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>